0: This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents, which you can also access at cortezcurrents.ca. Some people will call this program one-sided, which is, which is what happens when you interview the people on one side of an argument. Others will say I was duped. But I would hold Marine Harvest, or MOE Canada West as it's now called, blameless if they had been a little more forthright about what they were doing. They were not, and... As I do not cover fish farms that often. Three years passed before I realized what had actually happened. The key to this puzzle is simple. Most fish farms are relatively clean, most of the time, but there almost always seem to be gross exceptions. Alexander Morton's YouTube video, Hard Evidence from the Inside, documents some of these that she found on Midsummer Farm in 2016. When I asked Marine Harvest about them, Ian Roberts offered to show me one of their fish farms in Philip's arm. If I'd been a little less naive, I would have realized that his choice was not random. If Roberts had been a little more candid, he might have said he was going to show me a farm that typified how the industry should operate. As it was, the difference between what I saw at Philip's Arm and the video Hard Evidence was so stark that it colored my interactions with Morton for the next three years. I got over it in the spring of 2020 when, frustrated by the two very different narratives I was hearing, I started looking up sea life statistics for myself. Some of the fish farms were struggling to keep their numbers down. For example, Shaw Point went over the 3 lice per fish limit every month between January and May. However, Philip's Arm, the site Roberts took me to, was among the cleanest. The story of my visit to Philip's Arm started with Alexandra Morton. I interviewed her on three occasions and also reviewed her movie, Salmon Confidential documentary, prior to her occupation of the Midsummer Farm. The following clip comes from our video, Hard Evidence.
1: So I went on board the Midsummer Farm with the Muscomah Zawodanik when they went to perform ceremony to get rid of this industry. I had 10 minutes to stick my camera under the water and look at these fish. And this is what I saw. I was stunned. I saw a fish go by with a big tumor on his head. This is one fish out of like 800,000 that are in this pen. How many others have this? We've gotten a lot of reports of the people in the processing plants cutting these tumors off, and they even talk about having tumor fights. Are they going to sell that for people to eat, or is that dog food? Yeah, I would worry about that.
0: When I asked Marine Harvest about the incident, they invited me to visit their fish farm in Phillip's arm. This was one of the many Discovery Island sites that is currently dormant because of DFO's decision to terminate the industry. One of the first things that struck me was the safety protocols. I was not allowed onto the fish farm until I dipped my shoes into a cleansing solution. This reminded me of something the Department of Fisheries emailed me when I asked about Morton's video. A ministry spokesman wrote, Department of Fisheries recognizes the rights of individuals to protest peacefully and lawfully. Individuals should be mindful of not trespassing on private property and respect the need for biosecurity protocols at aquaculture facilities. Morton would not have gone through the same protocols I did. Marine Harvest asked her to leave. I was given an introductory tour of the fish farm's emergency devices before our visit began. I was shown where the first aid equipment was, told what to do in the case of a tsunami, how to operate the communication devices, and given a great deal of other information which I will never need and have very little interest in. However, it underlined the fact that there are a lot of safety procedures and regulations undergirding BC's aquaculture industry. My real tour of the fish farm included the control room where I found camera views of the fish pens. After I started to take pictures, Marine Harvest offered to let me direct their cameras and they took some snapshots for me. This allowed me to check some of the observations from Morton's video. While it seemed logical at the time, it was like declaring someone cancer-free because you don't find the disease in one of his neighbors. She said...
1: I was surprised at the number of fish that were behaving sickly. They were so sluggish. They were lying against the camera, lying against the side of the net. And uh, one of the viruses I'm studying, Piscine virus, is associated with a disease called heart and skeleton muscle inflammation. It actually damages the salmon's heart so that they become so weak they can barely move. And in the scientific literature, it says that the fish line up on the net with their faces towards the net. And that's what they were doing in every single pen. There were fish that were so emaciated, they no longer looked like salmon. They were had tiny skinny bodies. Again, this is one of the symptoms of heart and skeletal muscle inflammation.
0: This is taken from my 2016 broadcast. I do not remember seeing any emaciated salmon in the camera views from Philip's arm. I'm not saying there weren't any, just that I didn't see them. Nor were the fish I saw looking towards the net. They were swimming past it. You can see some of the images I saw in the written version of this article. I'm not disputing the photos that Morton took, but I do wonder how representative they are of fish farms. Morton said the fish were so weak and sluggish they could barely move. That's not what I could see. I interviewed three people at the fish farm. One of the background noises you can hear in those interviews is the ping of a light drizzle on my recorder. The louder sound, which persists throughout all three interviews, is from splashes as fish kept jumping. My first interview was with Catherine Dolmage, who is Marine Harvest's certification manager. She used to belong to one of the environmental groups opposing fish farms.
2: I did a master's degree in marine management. And as part of that, to write my thesis, I was working with the Ocean Wise program under the Vancouver Aquarium and interviewing chefs about why they're choosing the seafoods that they sell in their restaurant and how to promote more environmentally friendly options, how to get them on board with programs like Ocean Wise or maybe what some of the barriers were to getting onto a program like that. And then that led really nicely into a role with Sea Choice, which was working with retailers on their seafood consumption and what they're buying, what rationale they have for the things they're buying and how to move those purchases to more sustainable options. So I did that for a couple of years and was involved in some of the work those groups are doing on fish farming as well. Which group? So this was First Sea Choice, which is a coalition of a number of environmental organizations. Currently, Living Ocean Society, David Suzuki Foundation, and Ecology Action Center are the three involved now. I had been involved in salmon farming growing up. My family was involved from the very early days in B.C. and back in the late 80s. I was familiar with the practices. I wasn't happy with the the route that some of these groups were taking. And I felt that I could have a better impact being involved on the other side and actually trying to make changes from the inside rather than pointing fingers from the outside. I just didn't feel like there was an appetite for engagement and that really engagement was what was needed. If there's something that you don't like and you want to change it, then you need to be willing to meet and discuss and work together to make improvement. And just standing on the sidelines saying you don't like it isn't going to help anything. The role came up with Marine Harvest. I had been doing some work with certification programs on the Sea Choice side, and I knew that Marine Harvest, as well as all of the salmon farming company, most of them globally, but all of them in BC, had committed to Aquaculture Stewardship Council certification. So I had hoped that there would be job openings for support in that, and luckily there was. And so I met with Ian summer of 2014 and joined Marine Harvest and started working on the certification programs here. I'm now a certification manager, so I'm running the ASC programs and the BAP programs. Coming out to sites like this all the time and working with site managers and making sure that they're following all of the procedures to meet these standards, that we're doing all the additional work we're bringing in contractors, we're looking at other research projects, we're engaging with some of the conservation groups, with universities, with all kinds of different people to show that we can meet these extremely high level of standards and also it's improving our transparency so we're bringing out who are verifying this stuff and it's all going online we have public reporting web pages on our website now where during this the out migration of wild salmon in the spring we're posting sea lice numbers weekly from every site involved in the program so anybody anywhere in the world can go onto our website and look at what those lice numbers are they can comment on our audit reports and they can see the wild salmon and monitoring programs on our website. There's a ton of information out there that's... It it makes it hard to claim that we're doing something wrong when we're being so transparent with all the information that's out there.
0: I want you to specifically talk about the surveys that you're doing in the spring and the fall and on sea lice as the salmon are going before they hit the Mm -hmm. nets. And after they've gone past the farms and the numbers? So
2: we are now certifying sites in each of our five production areas. So one of the requirements under the Aquaculture Stewardship Council is to look at the sea lice levels on wild out-migrating salmon. So we start in April and run into May or June, depending on how many fish we're seeing. We hire a contractor to do the work. Marine Harvest isn't doing it ourselves. It's an independent contractor, and so they are looking at attempting to look at near stream where the fish are first migrating into the water or areas where they wouldn't have passed a salmon farm and comparing that to after swimming by a salmon farm or post potential infection and comparing those levels and looking at is there an impact from salmon farms is there not an impact and then we can take that data as well and compare it to the levels that we actually see on our farms and go a little bit further and say the lice levels were high on the farm at that time the lice levels were low on the wild fish Maybe they're high in the wild fish, they're high on the farm fish. Seeing if there's trends and if there's any information there that we can use for our own management of light and making sure that we're using all the information that we can get our hands on to ensure that we're not having a negative impact. In
0: a previous interview with Ian, he said that the threat or the concern is that in the springtime, the outgoing smolt could be infected by the farms. What are you finding in terms of these sea
2: It's early to draw any conc- We're not seeing surprising levels one way or the other. The pre-exposure and post-exposure levels on wild fish are fairly similar, so we can't say conclusively that the farms are or are not having an impact.
0: Another concern I've heard is about the amount of excrement going Mm -hmm. from the fish farms into the ocean. Do you want to make any comments about that?
2: Sure. So we, before we put a site in anywhere, there's a huge amount of environmental information that we're looking at the flow of water using current meters to determine how quickly the water is moving, how much turnover there is in the water, how deep the site is, what the seafloor looks like, what the contouring looks like, and then we can use all of that information to create a model to predict what the potential impact will be. And then when a site is reaching their peak biomass, we're, we're having biologists come out and take samples of the seafloor to look at that impact and make sure that we're not exceeding what we predicted. And we're also regulated to a very strict threshold. So if we are above that, we can't put our fish back in the water. Once those fish are harvested out, we can't restock the site until we're meeting those guidelines again. So it's very strictly managed that we can't have more than a minimal impact on the benthic environment. You
0: also leave some sites fallow? About- so
2: generally, depending on the site and the production plans, a site might be fallow for a three months, it might be fallow for a year and a half. So in that time, it gives the benthic environment a little bit of time to recuperate and make sure that any environmental impact that has been seen is remediated before the fish go back in the water.
0: How many sites do you have right now and how many are actually in operation and how many are fallow?
2: We have about 30 active sites at the moment and about 10 fallow. And then that'll shift over time a little bit back and forth.
0: In terms of area, if you were to take all of your fish farms and compact them into a small area, how much of the coastline would it occupy?
2: It's under a square kilometer would be impacted. This is the total area of all the salmon farms, Marine Harvest and the other companies in B.C. combined.
0: In terms of the incoming migration and the interaction between wild salmon and farmed fish, do you see any evidences infection either way.
2: Yeah we do see an increase on lice numbers on our fish when the wild salmon are coming back to the rivers. They've had a couple of years in the ocean depending on the species to be infected by lice and generally the size of fish they don't have negative health impacts at that at that time. So these wild fish are coming back with lice infection and we do see the numbers on our farm increase. For us as well it's not a health concern but it's something that we want to make sure that we're on top of and if we need to manage we will treat our fish to keep those numbers back down and make sure especially that we get those numbers down before the springtime again when those the little fish that could have health impacts based on lice infection are protected.
0: What percentage of the fish from a farm actually make it to market?
2: 90% of the smolts that are stocked at 100 grams or so will grow to a 6 or 8 kilo or 10 kilo fish that is harvested and processed.
0: Would you have any insight into why so many conservation groups are opposed to fish farms?
2: I think there's a lot of different reasons. It's you're able to make a good living. There's groups that are willing to support those people. And it's something that people are very committed to. I think there's people that believe a lot of different things that some people might think are crazy. I like to compare it to the anti-vaccination community. And there's nothing that you can tell one of those people that will convince them that vaccinations are a good idea. So there's a lot of people that are just anti-salmon farm. And they always will be, and no matter what the information you give them, it's, facts won't change your mind. They're anti-salmon farm.
0: There has been an epidemic, especially in Norway, in the past. Mm-hmm. Would you have any comment about that?
2: You're referring to ISA. Yes. That's something that we haven't seen in Canada. The virus has never been detected in Canada, so it's not a concern. We don't import any genetic material, so if the virus isn't here now, we're hopeful that it, there's no way that it will appear here in the future.
3: I'm Paul Pattison, site manager. I've been in the industry for, this will be my 20th year this year. Started when I was 17 years old. Currently at Phillips Arm is a 10 cage. We call it a 2x5 square steel cage system. We have our inventory right now is we have 546,000 pieces and currently they are at 2.3 to 2.4 kilo average. We're going to be holding these fish until next summer where we're going to be harvesting. Once we're done harvesting we're on a 10-month follow period where we're going to start all over again. Phillips Arm is one of the older leases. I don't know the exact date but this goes back into the Liard days privately owned this is an old farm
0: in this particular cycle
3: we are just coming on eight months in the water we received these fish from up in the Broughton's
0: do you have a comment about all these jumping fish behind us? why are they jumping
3: yeah well, they're jumping because they're comfortable they're well-fed they're healthy and Atlantic salmon just like to jump we have incredibly low densities Max these fish will ever get will be 10 kilos per cubic meter, which, is, which doesn't seem like much, but that's a lot of room. Like as okay. you saw in the camera, they're quite comfortable, they're schooling, they're not stacked, is what we call it, which means very close. Even how we feed on site, fish welfare is one of our biggest values on the farm to make sure they're healthy, happy, comfortable. And that's why we feed all day, instead of just one big event, we'll call it, where it's just, we allow them to slowly eat and graze and eat on their schedule instead of ours. We essentially work for the fish and work for us and right. that's one of my core values is fish quality. Survival rate here is fantastic. We're at 96.5% survival overall, which is typical. You're always going to have some kind of loss especially on this size of farm,
0: but that's the leading uh, cause of loss.
3: The leading cause of loss is natural death. We get screening once a month here by fish health. We have DFO come in minimum quarterly. They come here anytime they would
0: like. They do fish health sampling if there is any
3: red flag or any issue, it would be put in the hands of our fish health department.
0: An online fish farm had told me that their number one cause of fatalities was fish colliding with the walls of their pins.
3: Mechanical (laughs) injuries, as you can see here, it's hard to explain on, on a recording, but you can see how much, we'll say, real estate we have for these fish. These fish are very comfortable. We have a very reduced amount of even lines in the water. Everything in the water has a purpose. And if you can even see the scope of the nets, they're not up against any billets. If they are going to jump into a a net, it's just going to essentially be like a trampoline. Okay. So it's and if there was any concerns or elevated mortality, we would just come up with a solution. Do you have many collisions? You're going to have some fish jump into things, and it's not avoidable. But you're talking about a
0: net that actually repels it. It's actually protecting the fish from the
3: sides. It protects the fish from the sides and it protects the nets from the sides. Our number one goal is to make sure our product is contained and the fish are healthy.
0: Tell me about your work cycle.
3: My work cycle, my staff, there's five people on site. My assistant managers and my techs, they work in 8 and 6, so they work Wednesday to Wednesday. So Mm -hmm. they work here for eight days and then they're home with their family for six days. Myself, I work a Monday to Thursday shift as a site manager, so I get to work with all my staff focus on advancement and make sure I'm always here every week working hours typically we work with the Sun we work like I said we work for the fish we're up Sun up to Sun down making sure our fish are happy fed and all our duties are completed everybody gets their scheduled holidays we try to accommodate Christmases so we actually encourage people to bring out guests on Christmas bring your family out we try to make it as comfortable as possible Marine Harvest is really good for that my wife is an ex-fish farmer She's now a housewife, but she tries to come out once a year just to check up on me, make sure everything is good, spend some time out on the farm. She knows how passionate I am, so she wants to show an interest in that, just like many of my farmers' husbands or wives. I encourage them to come out and see what the big deal is all about. Very passionate farmers here on this site. I believe in what I do. I'm a local Campbell River boy. I grew up with a fishing rod in my hand. grew up on a boat. I chartered with my father as a young adult. I guess you could just sum it up is that I believe in the industry. I've done commercial fishing, I've sport fished, and this industry honestly is feeding the world. I love to grow things. I love salmon.
0: What do you think about the criticisms that are coming towards fish farms from the
3: environmental movement? Some of it's hard to stomach. I think some people need to come see what we do a little more. Like A lot of it's very outside-influenced. I guess the easiest way to say it is everybody's entitled to their opinion, the only thing that really bothers me is when it becomes poor education or they're mis- misinformed on truly how this industry is runs. But I can tell you exactly how many fish I have here, what size they are, what my bottoms, like my staff's favorite activity is. We're like a family out here, and we treat this like a farm. Farmers.
0: I delved into this matter further during my interview with Ian Roberts, the communications director for Marine Harvest Canada.
4: I think if you know anything about a subject, that the media likes to highlight controversy likes to highlight the negative you don't often see positive stories and sometimes when you're seeing a story that you know little about you don't know whether there's balanced the story because you're little about the story and you hope that the filter the media is providing you that balanced story so you can create opinions based on fact i know that not to be the case with fish farming i've been a salmon farmer now for 25 years on the coast and i could see how someone sitting in Vancouver might have a negative perception of our business based on the flashy headlines, the controversy but I think looking at the global perspective there is a strong case for fish farming when you look at the conservation aspect, the food providing aspect, and the economic aspect, and thinking about where the economics happens. It happens in coastal regions that have been hard hit by downturn in other resource industries here in BC, so it's an important economic driver. I find that the reporting in British Columbia specifically gives quite a voice to a minority that doesn't necessarily represent the balance of the conversation in the world around fish farming which is unfortunate and we have to take that responsibility on ourselves i think we have a responsibility to communicate what we do we have a responsibility to communicate our challenges and what we do as a response to those challenges and i think we've done poorly over the last 20 years i think we've let some voices run the conversation media has been happy to pick up that side of the conversation And I think now you're starting to see salmon farmers speak up for themselves because we've been doing it for 30 years. This is not new. We've been doing it well for 30 years, and we've learned a lot along the way. And we certainly, in my 25 years, do it exceptionally well compared to how we started 25 years ago. So it's a good news story, and good news stories are hard to sell as headlines. That's just the world we live in.
0: What has the conservation movement brought to the table that's good and where do you think they've gone over report?
4: Yeah, it's a great question. I got into schooling in aquaculture in the late 80s because I am and was a conservationist. I wanted to do something different. I saw what was happening with our fish stocks around the world, and I was very active. In fact, my background was culturing tropical fish. And the reason why I was breeding tropical fish is because there was no more tropical fish to take from the wild that could supply the demand for tropical and marine fish in aquariums. So I chose to breed fish, and I liken that very much to breeding fish and culturing fish for food, not just ornamental fish. That's how I got interested in the business. I was a conservationist. And I'll echo a concern that I had in school that I heard quickly when I started fish farming, and that was around fish feed is it smart to be feeding fish to fish and is it a wise use of our resources and I'll admit when I first started our feed diet was probably comprised of about 50 percent fish meal and if you do the math you realize that you were feeding more fish to raise less fish which you could argue is probably not wise use of the resources so For the past 25 years, fish farmers and feed companies have looked for alternate proteins to that fish source. And today, our marine ingredients, our fish meal, is about 10 to 15%. When you do the math, you're feeding less fish to produce more fish. So now we're a net producer of fish. That's a huge gain that many people probably don't know about because we were busy doing the science we weren't busy doing the communication but conservationists at that time raised the concern and because of that and because it's the right thing to do fish farmers and feed companies reacted and we are where we are today but there are times when i notice that opinions are being formed that aren't based on fact i encourage people to have opinions but i really encourage them to base it on fact And don't let an individual or an organization or a media source form your opinion. You really need to go and make sure that you're critically thinking about the pros and cons. Everything we do has an impact. You just have to be sure that impact isn't greater than the benefit. The benefit outweighs the impact. I chose it as a career, I've worked in it for 25 years. I'm very comfortable with the fact that the benefit outweighs that impact. We still have challenges and we'll have to make changes. That's why we're doing this certification program, to make sure that all of our sites achieve the best we can today, but the technology we use to ensure that these fish are comfortable, these fish are healthy, these fish are well fed, and we're being as efficient as we can by raising them. And that's improved every year. It's improved in the ocean sites, it's improved in our freshwater sites. And I think the best way for me to act as a conservationist is being on the inside, because I can actually be a part of these changes, instead of just criticizing on the outside, but really not coming up with any solutions.
0: Why are these fish jumping in there?
4: Actually, I'm going to answer that the opposite way. If they weren't jumping, we would be concerned. If they weren't jumping, they might be stressed out, because perhaps there's a predator in the area, or perhaps there's plankton in the water or the temperature is too warm. So when they're jumping, it's a good sign. And actually, the Latin name for Mm -hmm. the Atlantic salmon is Salmo salar, which means jumping fish, so it's nothing new. This visit overshadowed the way
0: I perceived Alexandra Morton for the next three years. It wasn't until I looked into the sea lice statistics myself that I realized what now seems to be blatantly obvious truth. Some fish farms have serious problems with sea lice, have to undergo repeated treatments and still exceed the accepted limit. Philip's arm was not one of them. Their lice count did not even come close to the limit. Is it surprising that there weren't any of the deformities or peculiar fish behavior that Morton documented in the Broughton Archipelago? Alexander Morton filmed a number of eel-like salmon in Hard Evidence, but there have been no subsequent reports. This raises a number of troubling questions. 1. Why was Morton the only one to report them? 2. How widespread were they? 3. Are there still deformed fish, like those Morton documented in 2016, inside fish farms? 4. What does the absence of any reports in 2016 or more recently say about the fish farm industry's credibility? As for the rest of what you heard from my visit to Phillips arm, Remember, this is one side of an argument. You need to listen to both sides. This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents. Goodbye.